This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Chorley in edinburgh oh yes the tour started that's what did stand up uh, in edinburgh last night and then we've done the radio show in edinburgh today uh, so coming up on today's episode of the podcast we've got anna sawa the leader of the scottish labor party talking about how labor used to basically run the place and now they're in third place tossing for second place with the conservatives uh, we'll find out his plan for turning things around including some astonishing figures about how much money the labor party's raised in his first year as Labour leader compared to what they raised um, in the year before that. It wasn't very much, uh, it turns out. Uh, so yeah, Anna Sawa, the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, is coming up. But first, as ever, we kick off with our economist panel and a special co- Scottish duo uh, for us, uh, joined by Alex Massey from uh, the uh, Times in Scotland and Melanie Reid. So I suppose we should start with, let's talk about, because it's not just me, me making a royal visit to Scotland. Boris Johnson's in Scotland uh, this morning, Alex. Uh, not meeting anybody, if he can possibly help it. Uh, yeah, I mean, none of the, he's not meeting any of the senior figures from the Scottish Conservative Party, because uh, Boris Johnson is remarkably even less popular amongst uh, elected politicians in the Conservative Party in Scotland than he is with voters as a whole. Something like 90% of the Tory MSPs at Holyrood have called for him to resign. Um, So he is friendless within his own party in Scotland and friendless in the country more generally. Explain to me the the political impact of that decision by Douglas Ross to call for Boris Johnson to go. Uh, (laughs) He had the extraordinary spectacle of then Jacob Rees-Mogg dismissing him as a lightweight. Uh, which is an interesting uh, pot and kettle situation. But what does that, on the one hand, you can see why public anger at the parties in, in number 10, that's where Douglas Ross has called for him to go. However, for the Conservative and Unionist Party to be making the case for the union when even the Scottish Conservatives don't want Boris Johnson to be the Prime Minister overseeing Scotland. That's a, that's a, that's a hard sell on the doorstep, isn't it? It's a tricky line to walk, certainly. Uh, I mean, the argument is that, you know, sure, the Prime Minister is a disaster, but uh, the advantages of union to Scotland outweigh the disadvantages of even, you know, uh, are greater than the, the disadvantages of even having a, an intolerable Prime Minister. Um, now, that is a nuanced sell, as you suggest, but, you know, for the Scottish 
Scottish Tories, they can say, you know, uh, with regard to, to, to Boris Johnson, you know, it's not actually about you, even though it is about you, but it's about the higher cause, which is maintaining and protecting the union against the SNP's threat and the promise that the SNP have to uh, have another referendum. And so that there is a higher purpose, if you like. Um, and almost any other would-be Tory prime minister could scarcely fail to be more popular in Scotland than Boris Johnson and be, you know, in that sense, less of a danger. You know, it's like, the, you know, the Scottish Tories feel that, uh, that they're playing a game of football and they start off 2-0 down because of Boris Johnson. And so in those circumstances, it's very difficult for them to, to make any headway. Melanie, um, uh, the SNP have been mocking Boris Johnson this morning, saying that this is his farewell tour, uh, uh, him uh, coming to Scotland. Is there any way back for Boris Johnson in Scotland, do you think? Well, you'd never know, do you? Because he's... T- <laughs> I, I mean, no, basically. No. <laughs> it was very even-handed of you to start with, Melanie. It was very good. Um, no, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, let's be realistic. But I... I I, I must say that I, I'm highly amused by his uh, attempts to woo, to woo, um, to woo Douglas Ross back because apparently he sent him a birthday card. Now, I mean, you know, it would take if someone had called me a lightweight, it would take more than a birthday card with sort of saying what you're. <laughs> so what? You're Boris Johnson sent Douglas Ross a birthday card. Yeah, a handwritten one apparently. Handwritten one. Yeah, handwritten. I mean, you know, I, I've been, I've been thinking about what was on the front. You know, you're fabulous or something. You know, something. <laughs> it, 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 it's the sort of. It just really makes me laugh. I, I honestly don't think Westminster get it. There's not, I mean, Kieran Andrews, uh, uh, the Times' is Scottish political editor, he's got a lovely quote from Whitehall sources this morning saying. You know, um, uh, talking of the SNP, uh, we are hugging them close. You know, uh, it's, it's 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 ludicrous. You know, that, the, <laughs> that they have they have a fantasy that somehow they're improving relationships with with Scotland. Um, and this, this is, is about this is, free, imp- this is about, about Freeport, free, isn't it? This yeah, is, um, we, which I think we're going to talk about. But it 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 is this. They have no concept of 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 just how unpopular and how toxic he is up here. You know, it's um, extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, there's another another quote and another of um, Kieran Andrews' stories in the paper today, where where you know you have a, a a source close to Johnson or a Johnson ally saying, "Well, look, it's not all bad. You know, he you know he's not as unpopular as Margaret Thatcher was in Scotland." <laughs> If that if that is your bar for success, then you know. <laughs> but was it in Scot? Was it in Scotland where he came and he he, taught, he joked about Margaret Thatcher um, yeah. uh, doing her bit for climate change by su- shutting yes. down the coal mines? That was yes. in Scotland, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a classic. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, that was I, a sort of yes, but no, not really, actually, you know. <laughs> and, and there, were, there were council elections right across uh, Scotland this year. Um, and, I mean, the, the, there's a real problem for the Conservatives in that, isn't there? Is it, well, I mean, presumably they'll just, all the leaflets will just talk about very local issues and try to avoid um, uh, talking about national politics at all. But at a time when, you know, the Conservatives and the Labour Party have essentially neck and neck in the polls, um, which way you look at it, this could be a real problem for Boris Johnson if, if you know, if Labour, if Labour end up doing better than the Tories. Yeah, I mean, this is this is always, this is the big one. This is the big competition. Who's sec- who? Who takes second place? And um, you know, under Ruth Davidson, um, it, it, the Tories managed to get back into second, and we're we're we're, we're doing very well. Um, but 
in in Sawa, they have um, a, a very viable Labour now have a very viable leader, who is is uh, I don't think there's there's any doubt that um, the May elections are going to embarrass going to embarrass the Tories. I mean, the the diehards will still vote blue um, because they they you know they would do it whoever was in charge. But I think that lots and lots of um, people who who don't want to vote for the SNP but want a, a viable alternative who may be unionist um, lapsed Labour voters they they will I think go back to Labour um, I think that the, the, those middle sort of the, those kind of the, the, the sort of thinking middle voters uh, I think will say no no way um, Sawa will take our vote well, we'll, um, we'll hear from him a bit later on uh, he's going to pop in as well let's talk about this free ports policy in particular Alex, we've got this very strange situation where uh, the Conservative government in Westminster want free ports. Uh, last year, the Scottish government said they were going to uh, the uh, yeah Scottish government going to do their own thing, and they were going to have green ports. And now they've sort of come together. Boris Johnson saying they're free ports. The Scottish government are saying they're green ports. It's the same thing, but once again, they can't even agree on the one <laughs> Even, uh, even a thing in front of them, and they're both, they're both, they can't agree on what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, there are two things here. I mean, the first instance is on nobody is really, I think, sure or convinced that the Freeport policy is actually going to be all that effective. Um, but the Scottish government um, find themselves in a situation where they naturally uh, want to oppose any suggestion that comes from the UK government, even if it might actually benefit Scotland, because the policy of differentiation is so integral to the SNP's DNA, and indeed is in part the, the logic of devolution, is to do things differently, of course. But at the same time, you know, the Scottish government, you know, the, the SNP thinks, well, on the other hand, what if, just on the off chance, maybe these Freeport things are a good idea... So maybe we do need to have our own <laughs> version of them. So it's a sort of you know hedging of bets yeah. type thing, and so on to say, well, well there'll be green free ports, and they've got to commit to being net zero by 2045, and all the rest of it. Um, and so it's 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 another example, if you like, of the SNP's sort of tartan cakeism uh, that they want to have their cake and eat it. Um, and so and that's just uh, it's not just smart politics. I mean, it's the thing you hear. It's the thing I hear from people in Westminster all the time. Oh, they're a nightmare. The SNP's. In Scotland, you know, if something goes well, they say it's down to them, and if it goes badly, it's down to us. So, yeah, it's because they're quite good at politics. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and you, and you have, you know, opinion polling, and this goes back years, actually, whereby the Scottish government is given credit for good things that happen, even if they're not their responsibility. So, for instance, say the furlough scheme during yeah. lockdowns on the SNP actually received quite a lot of credit from voters in Scotland for a scheme that was dreamt up by the Treasury and Rishi Sunak in London. At the same time, you know, problems in the NHS in Scotland are easily shifted onto Westminster and Whitehall, um, uh, a claim of a lack of funding or whatever. Um, you know, so even where the Scottish government has responsibility, such as, say, in education. Uh, you, recently, you had an SNP minister saying, well, you know, failures in, in education or shortcomings uh, in education aren't really our fault because, of course, we're not in control of macroeconomic policy and there are far too many poor people in the country and that's Westminster's fault. And, if the, you know, until we eliminate poverty, we can't really be expected to do better in terms of educational performance. Uh, and so it's that sort of heads we win, tails you lose yes. uh, type approach to politics, which is electorally extremely effective, albeit, you know, uh, very slippery too. Uh, Melanie, um, it, it's, that th I mean, it, it's a thing that I think constantly, but, but sort of simultaneously impresses and worries people in Westminster, that Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP, are, whatever you think of their politics, they are good at politics. 
They are good at it. Um, but I think there's something very interesting about these, the, 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 this Green Freeport story uh, in terms of political personalities. And that's that it's not actually um, Nicola Sturgeon that's been involved in this so much as Kate Forbes. There seems to have been an outbreak of common sense over this, this sort of cooperation. Um, and it's been between Kate Forbes and Michael Gove. And that is, it's interesting because, the, the, I mean, we can maybe deduce from that that, that, that less entrenched, less doctrinaire and less petty about things, that they're, they're a bit more in the real world. Uh, and Kate Forbes, of course, is being seen as the future leader of the SNP. Um, and so well, it's because she's 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 young and quite not not hugely experienced, but she sort of catapulted that role, wasn't she? Um, and, and actually, is, is very impressive. Yes, I mean she's only thirty-one. Um, she's uh, going to have some time off later this year because she's expecting her first child. Um, uh, and there is a, a you know there's a difference in approach as, as the finance uh, secretary in the Scottish government, Kate Forbes, naturally is perhaps more interested in the economy and economic growth and sees that as vital for Scotland's future than Nicola Sturgeon is, where, where questions about the economy, uh, relations with business and so on are not Nicola Sturgeon's natural strong suit. You know, it's not where she feels comfortable. She's much more comfortable talking about the public sector, the third sector, uh, and she's very capable, in, at least in talking the talk in those respects, you know, in those areas of policy, but she's not uh, at her strongest on economic issues and doesn't actually take very much interest in economic issues. So Melanie's absolutely right that the, the, the Kate Forbes on, on some of these economic questions takes a slightly different approach to, to many other people in the SNP and she's also right that Michael Gove is from the British government's point of view the most important figure vis-a-vis -vis Scotland. The, the levelling up agenda shouldn't just be something that is confined to England. It needs to be a pan-UK kind of uh, approach uh, and you know within Scotland there is ample opportunity for levelling up between different regions. I mean if you look at you know GDP performance in Edinburgh is twice what it is in in Fife, for instance, which is just across the across the bridge, uh, across the the fourth from here. Um, and so there are you know significant regional inequalities within Scotland as well. Um, uh, uh, and that is something that I think the UK government appreciates that there can't be any complete no-go areas. Um, you know that that even with devolution and so on, the, the British government still has both a right and a duty to be active in Scotland. Well, we'll see, um, see how that pans out. It is fascinating. We're going to be talking more about the, uh, the economy and uh, business uh, here in Scotland in just a moment. Before I let you both go, I was out earlier asking people in Edinburgh um, if they had to go on a Valentine's date with a politician, who would they choose? Melanie, oh, who would you, which politician would you most like to go on a Valentine's date with? Oh, well... <laughs> it's a good big sign. Must do I have to? I mean, well, look, seeing... Seeing as you're here and, and Boris is here, I mean, it's, it's a sort of, it's, it's a day for Scotland. I think it would be quite interesting to go out with Douglas Ross and to hear about That's Scottish true. football. He, the you Scottish know, he, football. He, he, the, the I, I would he's pop a, he's a and hear about Boris Johnson, I think, would be more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, uh, Alex? I, I think, you know, as a columnist and so on, I think uh, one just has to recuse oneself from any kind of Valentine's date uh, with any politician and so on, on the, because, it, you know, it could be a disaster. You know, you might end up liking them. <laughs> Keep a safe distance. That, that is the beauty of it. If you're a columnist for long enough, nobody would go for a Valentine's dinner with you anyway because you'd be rude about them over the, over the years. 
Melanie Reed and Alex Massey there uh, giving us their take on the news. And of course, you can read them in the Times, in the Scottish edition of the Times too, but you can find them online as well. Just go online to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box uh, to get your subscription. Still to come on the podcast, up next we'll hear from the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, Anna Sawa. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at LutonRising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box podcast, coming to you from the Edinburgh Larder, a cafe just off the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. And this is what happened when Anna Sawa, the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, popped in for a chat. Devolution will not just be good for Scotland or with an assembly for Wales. It will be good for the whole of the United Kingdom. I want to make the argument that is not an argument about the second referendum, nor about the status quo, but is actually an argument um, about a way in which we can have Scotland remaining part of the United Kingdom. Your Majesty, on behalf of the people of Scotland, I thank you for the gift of the mace. It's a symbol of the great democratic traditions from which we draw our inspiration and our strength. Those people who've been told unfairly by the nationalists that if you vote nil, you're a less than patriotic Scot. Tell them this is our Scotland. Yeah, some big beasts in uh, Scottish politics there. Tony Blair became the Prime Minister, of course, back in 1997, promising Scottish devolution. This was fulfilled a year later when Labour's Donald Dewey became Scotland's first first minister. The Labour Party at that time dominated in Scotland. Had a huge amount of power. Some of the biggest names in Labour politics came from Scotland. But two decades later, it's all gone a bit downhill. Scottish Labour has been steadily losing seats at every election from 56 MSPs in the Scottish Parliament in 1999 down to now 22. So, 
can Scotland find a way back? Uh, can Labour find a way back in Scotland? Well, here's the man who's tasked with doing exactly that. Uh, the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, Anna Summer, joins me uh, live in Edinburgh. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Thank you for popping in. Thanks for setting out that challenge for me. I, I often get reminded of it at, uh, about the, the huge challenge that we have here in Scotland to get the Labour Party back on track. And you're right to point to the, the history, but the reality is uh, we've had 20 years of decline in Scotland. And the way route back for Labour Party is not just to look back on the glory days of the past, but actually focus relentlessly on the future. We'll, we'll talk about the future in a moment. What, what is it for you that calls that? Is it uh, devolution was supposed to lance the boil, we were told, of, uh, of nationalism and independence? And actually it's had the, the opposite effect. Is it that, that Scotland was a bit of a forerunner of what we now call the Red Wall, that you know, Labour took for granted, the, the, it dominated Scottish politics for so much? It took it for granted, took the eye off the ball and allowed the SNP to come in. What is it for you that you think... Matt, I think any, anyone that, gives, that says to you that it was one reason yeah. um, is not telling you the truth. The, the reality is there's lots of reasons. Um, one, I think, yes, devolution was a great thing. I don't think Labour psychologically understood and got and moved into devolution in terms of how it structured itself as a political organisation. Um, I think there were also challenges around... Um, the tail end of a UK Labour government and the impact that had uh, negatively here uh, in Scotland. I think we did lose uh, touch. I don't think people viewed us as standing on the side of Scotland and being on Scotland's side. The referendum obviously was a huge psychological uh, shift for people. So I think there's lots of different reasons uh, within that. Um, so to pinpoint it on one thing, I think would be the wrong analysis. I think the challenge we face right now is I think there is still an affinity for the Labour Party in Scotland. I think people still want Labour to do well. The challenge is we have to demonstrate to people, one, that Labour can win again across the UK. And I think, uh, in part to Boris Johnson, but also thanks to Keir Starmer, people can see the difference that a UK Labour government can make and that Labour can win again across the UK. That's a huge psychological difference, I think, for us here in Scotland. But the second part, of which is what I'm uh, focused on doing, is how do we demonstrate to people quite clearly that Labour is focused rightly on the future, not the past, not talking to itself about itself, but talking about Scotland and the people of Scotland and how we build that future together. And that's what I'm relentlessly focused on. What difference does it make having Keir Starmer and not Jeremy Corbyn as leader in Scotland? Well, look, I don't want to get into the, the personalities in terms of one person. No, of course they do. Of course they do, because people vote for people ultimately. Yeah. Um, but I think the single biggest difference is... Um, I th and I think this is in part helped by, by Boris Johnson. I think you can see a clear contrast between a charlatan in Boris Johnson and a statesman in Keir Starmer, someone that thinks political office is about them and what they can get out of it in Boris Johnson and someone that's committed to public service and what they can do for the country in Keir Starmer. And I think that's something that we need to amplify and work on ruthlessly over the next uh, whatever period there is till the general election so we can win that case across the whole of the UK. Before we move away from him, just on the question of Jeremy Corbyn, do you think he should be allowed back into the Labour Party to stand as a Labour MP at the next election? Look, I don't think we could underestimate the hurt and the pain caused by the anti-Semitism scandal. Look, I, I'm, I, I never view issues of prejudice and hate from a party political perspective. There is not a single political party or a single organisation that is immune to prejudice and hate. The difference being the Labour Party was founded on the principle of equality, so we've got to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And demonstrating that we understand the pain the heart caused, I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask for an unequivocal apology um, so we can move on from this. And so far, that's not been forthcoming. And so if that doesn't come, you don't think he should be allowed Look, back in? This only matters and not a matter for me. I, I would much <laughs> rather um, we were making a clear, unequivocal recognition 
of where we've got it wrong and we're moving forward ac across the country. And no one should ever view the Labour Party as being an organisation that fuels um, or downplays any form of prejudice or hate. Um, that's not who we are. It's not in our DNA. It should never be in our DNA. So I want a Labour Party that's pulling our country together, taking on the forces of anger and division and giving hope to our country. Let's look at um, what's happening in Scotland today. Boris Johnson's in Scotland. Um, He's hiding. Have you found him yet? <laughs> he won't come down. We've invited him down. If he wants to pop into the cafe, he's very welcome. What, how do you feel as a, a unionist, but a, a Labour politician, when you hear that Boris Johnson is coming to Scotland? Well, well first of all, I, I don't think this is just when Boris Johnson comes to Scotland. I think it's probably when he goes to most parts of the UK. But the idea of, and, th and this is the big lie, I think, that has been told by the Conservative Party and the Scottish Conservative Party in particular, that somehow they're the great defenders of the United Kingdom. Let's be in no doubt, Boris Johnson is a disaster for the United Kingdom, all parts of the United Kingdom. He is not fit to hold the office of Prime Minister. He is a liar, he's corrupt, he's a charlatan, and he is the biggest threat to the UK. And frankly, the United Kingdom deserves better than Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. And every single day he stays in office, he, he further degrades the office of Prime Minister. And the Scottish Conservatives might want to distance themselves from Boris Johnson now, but they knew the character flaws of the man when they were campaigning for him to be Prime Minister. He's still coming to Scotland. He's still coming to the Scottish Party Conference. The sooner we can ditch these charlatans and demonstrate to people that we can reform, renew and rebuild the UK, the better it is for communities across the UK and the better it is for the United Kingdom. And what does it mean for the future of the United Kingdom? The the, the, clearly, I mean, uh, Nicola Sturgeon would love Boris Johnson to remain Prime Minister forever in terms of her furthering the cause for independence. Is that, is that your view well, as well? It, it's obvious, isn't it? It's, like, it's obvious. Th these people that pretend to be the great defenders of the United Kingdom are the greatest gift to the SNP. Because all the SNP ever do when they get something wrong is to first of all say, if we had independence, this wouldn't happen. If that argument doesn't work, all they do is they point to Boris Johnson, the Tories, and they say, at least we're not as bad as that lot over there. Frankly, Scotland deserves better than that. The United Kingdom deserves better than that. And that's why we need a functioning government across the UK and a right, rightly focused government here in Scotland that's about pulling our country together, getting us through the pandemic, rebuilding from the pandemic, and building a better country for all of us. Talk about the SNP and the Conservatives in Scotland. I mean, it, like, like I'm saying, um, the Conservatives and Labour Party are essentially neck and neck now in the polls. You're clearly, you becoming this, the, the, the leader of the second biggest party in Scotland is the immediate priority. Who do you see as your biggest enemy in Scotland? Is it Nicola Sturgeon or Douglas Ross? Look, I, I don't, I, I, I'm very careful about using that kind of language because given the level of hate and anger we have in our politics... Biggest I, rival, though. I, I would never, I would never uh, call anyone an enemy. Uh, our enemy has to be inequality. Our enemy has to be injustice. Our enemy has to be poverty. Our enemy has to be fear. Our enemy has to be hate. Our enemy has to be prejudice. Our enemy has to be despair. We've got to be on the side of hope uh, and fairness, and that's what I want to do. So I don't see them uh, as enemies. I think people come into politics for, I hope, the right reasons and generally want to change their country. I just think they have the wrong priorities. And therefore, I, I think they're both rivals in that sense. I think they're both bad for our country. I think they ultimately want Scotland to pick a side. I think they play up the division because it suits them both politically. I want to be the person that pulls our country back together to focus on the issues that we all care about, regardless how we voted in the referendum in 2014. What's your plan? I mean, ultimately, you wouldn't be doing the job if you didn't think you could be First Minister. What's the sort of time scale on that as a plan? Well, I, I want us to be competing to win the election in four and a half years' time. Um, I'm, I'm really clear about that. And the way we do that is, first of all, stopping the hemorrhage, which we have done, do the important work of having a functioning, professional, 
Scottish Labour Party, which we have done, and now we have to build on that by being active in communities. This is not going to be a top-down rebuilding of the Labour Party in Scotland. It has to be a grassroots-up rebuilding. So I say directly to your listeners, if you have a good idea, if you think you'd be a good candidate to stand for Labour or you know someone to be a champion in your community, get in touch. I'll talk to them. We'll take on those ideas. We'll consider them and we'll build, rebuild this country together. I should warn you that almost exactly this time last year, Richard Leonard came on the show told me that he was going to be first minister and within a week he resigned so just to is that the Matt Chorley effect is it is that <laughs> I'm, not, the Matt I'm not taking if credit if I knew for that I wouldn't have come for the interview <laughs> that's Matt, why I've just, the, the, that's no, why no, just no, that no up one now. told me that in the introduction it, look this, this, the serious side is this is we have we can't continue this constant conversation about the Labour Party talking to itself about itself like I said earlier on and what I'm determined to do is to get the Labour Party back to where it needs to be but you know I'm the first to say this. We can see the damage that has been caused by a UK uh, Conservative Party. We know that only Labour can replace the Tories. Let's stop just opposing them. Let's replace them. But we've also got to be worthy of people's support. So I don't want just the Tories to deserve to lose or the SNP to deserve to lose. I want Labour to deserve to win. And that means going out there, making the case and being worthy of people's support. Uh, So we do that with humility. We do that with uh, respect, but we do it with big ideas and fresh faces, and that's what. Give we're us a big do. idea then, because lots of every politician would say we do it with humility and respect, even if it doesn't necessarily come through in practice. Give us a big idea. You're out knocking on the doorsteps. Well, you're going to hear lots of big ideas at a conference in a few weeks' time. But you know, one one big idea that we had, for example, during the uh, election, was how do we have the biggest, boldest, most ambitious job creation scheme in the history of the Scottish Parliament? How do you guarantee every person not just a first chance? but a second, third, fourth chance across our country. That's the kind of big ideas we need if we're going to move forward. How do we honour NHS? When we talk about NHS catch-up, we often hear campaigns about Labour wanting to save the NHS. Of course I want to save the NHS. But actually, how do we rebuild, renew the NHS so we have a social care system and a healthcare system that is free of the point of need and people can have it when they need it? That's the kind of big ideas we need to move our country forward. Do you think the Labour Party and, and the Conservative Party too in Scotland have... Uh, let Scotland down over the last few years by not holding the SNP properly to account. That actually their, their domestic record on schools and hospitals and transport in lots of areas is really bad. And yet they are still riding high in the polls. They still win, you know, by far the most seats in the Scottish Party. Is that a failure of the Labour Party in recent years, do you think? The Labour Party's not been good enough. That's why we kept losing elections. And I- anyone that tells you we've been great, it's the punters that have been wrong is absolutely wrong. The public are right, we were wrong. We have not been good enough and that's why we kept losing elections and we have got to be worthy of people's support again. That's partly, and this is the challenge I set to every figure in the Labour Party, is yes, we've got to be better at exposing the failures of the SNP, but exposing the failures of the SNP in itself is not enough. We have got to demonstrate to people the kind of alternative we can have and the difference it would make to people's lives so they positively vote Labour, not just negatively vote against the Tories or the SNP. Let's, let's talk about Scottish independence because it's the thing that dominates still uh, Scottish politics, at least as far as Nicola Sturge is concerned. What's your sense of if or when we'll get a second independence referendum? Look, I, I, to be honest, I think the, the more um, Nicola Sturge and the SNP talk about it, it's more about how they try and shore up the base rather than any kind of serious effort or attempt to either have one or to make the case and argument for why it's the right thing right now for the country. Uh, I, I think it's, it's purely for electoral purposes. And the sad reality is we are in the midst of a crisis. Yes, we are coming through COVID in a much more positive way now, which after almost two years is, of course, welcome. 
<coughs> but we have one in almost eight of our citizens on an NHS waiting list here in Scotland. Yep. We've got a generation of young people who are missed out on quality education, severe mental health issues that flow uh, from that. At a time when all of our energy should be put on rebuilding our country and focusing on that recovery, we've got an SNP that wants to go back to the old arguments and the old fights and the us versus them. That wasn't what was promised in the final days of the election. Um, but we always knew then that promise wasn't true and sadly Nicola Sturgeon is going true to form and wanting to go back to those divisive arguments rather than pulling our country together. She says she's got a mandate for it. The SNP keep winning elections. You know, it's in their manifesto. She's uh, says she's got a mandate for it. Um, do you think that's the case? Has she got? I mean, that's how democracy works, isn't it? You put forward a manifesto. You say, if we win, we'll have a second referendum. She's got a mandate well, for well, it. Well, I think you, you'll see actually in recent days a number of figures large uh, or big figures in, in the independence movement have themselves been saying now is not the time for a referendum, uh, that they, they don't believe the SNP themselves are ready for a referendum what is the right timing for Scotland. So you've got people who uh, who are big supporters of independence making that case. It, uh, coming through all the trauma that we have, the collective trauma of the last two years, do we really want when that spirit of us fighting, uh, stopping the fight and pulling together in order to come through this pandemic, we go back to fighting each other again. I just don't think that's where the Scottish people are. And I, I just think this is a blind spot for Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, one of the things that, that they argue is that Brexit changed everything. There was a, a fundamental change in the uh, uh, situation in Scotland. That's why they wanted a, a second referendum. Um, where, do you, where do you stand on the Brexit question? Would you like to see a situation where at some point we rejoined the EU? Look, I, I wish we'd never left um, the European Union. Um, and th the challenge you have with the independence question is it, it doesn't mitigate the consequences of Brexit. It multiplies the consequences of Brexit. So if we, if we can learn one lesson from Brexit is let's not go down these blind alleys uh, on, on the wave of emotion and, and pay a negative price. Look, of course, I, I, would, I would one day like to see the United Kingdom look to rejoin the European Union. That's not where we are now. And I couldn't, I couldn't credibly say to people in Scotland, let's not go back to the old arguments on the yes and no question, while at the same time saying let's go back to the old arguments of the leave versus remain question. Yeah. I think given the collective trauma we've all had in the last couple of years and the divisiveness of our politics over the last 10, 15 years, I think people just want a bit of peace for a bit. I think people just want a bit of calm to get some normality back in our lives and politicians to focus on things that matter to people right now. The cost of living crisis being one good example of that. What would you rather have, Scotland within the UK or independent Scotland in the EU? Well, I think that's a one's a, one is a false choice. Um, I, I don't think that's automatic. You'll have seen debates in the last couple of days about now them talking about two referendums, whether we have a referendum on independence and follow that with a referendum or rejoining the European Union if that is um, what would be allowed to happen. Um, so I, I think it's a false choice. And the reality is that uh, independence would multiply the impact of, of Brexit. Our biggest and largest trading partner is the UK. I don't, think, I don't see how we can credibly say we want to have a closer relationship with Portugal, France, Germany. Of course I want that to happen. But we want to have a more distant relationship with England, Wales and Northern Ireland. I just don't think that's credible. Uh, and uh, political gymnastics, I uh, think, from the nationalists. Um, let's talk about you for a little bit. It's coming up to your first anniversary as uh, as party leader. I, th I thought you were saying that because it's Valentine's Day. I was like, I think it'd be a bit longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, as leader, as leader, um, a labour of love. How have you found it? What's it? Be, what's it like when you sort of go from being, you know, just an MSP to you know the figurehead of a party? The pros and cons, the good, the good and the bad. 
Uh, look, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm almost uh, using it's bloody hard work. It's um, it's uh, a lot of time. Um, I I I always knew it was going to be a big task and a big challenge. Um, if I'm honest, I didn't I didn't quite grip or grasp how how I think hollowed out we were as an organisation, not just in terms of our political message and our political result making as an organisation. I hadn't really grasped how hollowed out we were. I mean examples I've used before is you know I think in the, the 12 months leading up to me being leader I think the entire Scottish Labour Party fundraised £250 um, and uh, we managed that genuinely actually £250 yeah, I'm, I'm, I, that's what I'm led to believe it's £250 um, that, that is not a professional forward looking organisation so how much have you raised in the last year? I think in the last year we're almost at a million pounds wow so, uh, so I think we can demonstrate that yeah. we are uh, in, a, in a different place um, and we are putting, our, putting together a, a proper functioning professional organisation that seeks to not just be a uh, name on a ballot paper, but actually seeks to be a party that can govern the country. So, so I think that part has been has been a challenge. But the part that I love is I, I love talking to people, and um, I love communicating with people. I love talking to people. I love learning from people. I learn best from from people, um, and so that part I've enjoyed. And I'm genuinely determined to get around the country now that we're coming through COVID especially, talk to as many people as possible and rebuild this party, but I say rebuild this country. And I'm absolutely madly in love with Scotland. It's the, the greatest country on earth. I'm proud to be bringing up my children here. I genuinely believe Scotland's best days lie ahead of it, but it needs new ideas and new thinking. And I want to provide that new ideas, new thinking and new leadership so we get our country back on track. You're also the first person of colour to lead a major political party in the UK I mean that that comes with it some responsibility people will be looking to you uh, you know because because they don't normally see people lead you know people who look like them leading parties but, but there's, is there a downside too do you do you receive I mean all politicians receive threats and abuse social media and all of that it, do you feel like you get more of it because I think I think you're I think if you are from an ethnic minority background or a woman um, and worse if you're both you you, yeah. you receive exponentially more threats, abuse, and hate online. I think that comes part of the territory. To be honest, I'm I'm probably quite immune to it now. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't impact me, um, or doesn't you know uh, impact on my mental health at times. But it's it's more my kids that I feel for because you know my eldest in particular is on social media feeds. He sees it. Um, at the moment, he finds it quite funny. Um, but there might come a point where he doesn't find it quite funny and he finds it quite um, intolerable. Um, so look, I, I get the the fact you know, as as a first person of colour, as you said, that comes with a certain level of responsibility, comes with a certain level of, of profile. But the, the single biggest challenge for me is um, I, I want to demonstrate to people that I want to, you know, I, I care for this country. I'm as much Scottish as anybody else. I love this country just as much as anybody else. Now, I really want to be at the forefront of of shaping this country for generations, um, and that's what I'm absolutely determined to do. Um, and that's why I'm doing this job is because. Um, I think that we can rebuild this country and I think we can make Scotland the greatest place on earth and make it the greatest place for our kids to grow up in and for us to punch above our weight in the world, which is one Scotland's always been famous for and I want Scotland to do again. Um, you used to be a dentist. I did. Right. I'm looking at your teeth right now, man. No, no, actually. Don't look at my teeth. Um, do you miss it? Do I miss it? I miss the people. Um, I used to be a dentist in Paisley. Right. Um, and Paisley, anyone knows Paisley knows it's a, a great place. Brilliant place, brilliant people. Um, Brilliant slightly, teeth. slightly dodgy football team. The teeth weren't, weren't, weren't <laughs> as good as they could be. Um, I think the, I think it's uh, when I was a dentist in Paisley, the west of Scotland had the worst dental health 
in the whole of uh, so Europe. Is that your fault? Europe. No, I, I, I like oh, to think, I like, I like to think I moved them in the right direction. <laughs> but, but the tragedies, I mean, the tragedies of it were, I, I remember um, people, particularly young people with addiction issues, um, many on, on methadone, and you were having to do full dental clearances for people as young as 21. Wow. Um, and and that, that shows you the level That's of... That's taking all the teeth out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. F- full dental clearances uh, and full dentures going in for, for people as young as 21, 22. Um, th- that shows you the level of inequality, uh, poverty, uh, the issues of drug, drug addiction, family breakdown. These are all massive issues that we need to confront here in Scotland and, and make sure everyone has an equal chance in life. Well, it's good. But at least you've always got that. If you ever, like, has anyone... I would never go back, actually. You'd never go back? No, I would never go... I'm, I'm, it's one of those things where... Um, um, you know, once you once you've done something, um, you, you, I like you, you new never challenges. get sort of Nicholas Sturgeon saying, "Oh, I've got you couldn't have a look, could you?" I've got uh, the number of MSPs uh, and and journalists actually <laughs> that, that, that say you wouldn't mind having a look at this. And then when I suggest to them that I'm happy to get the tools out and extract it for them, they yeah. very quickly change their minds. Yeah, without any. Uh, I mean, I'm happy jobs. to do, I'm happy to do a live dental treatment on you right here, man. I don't think anyone wants that. I think people like to hear that. What? Um, it's Valentine's Day. I was out earlier on. Uh, we're going to hear this. Where's station. my flowers? You've not, you know, there's no gifts of rose or love. Because no, you'd have to declare it and everything. It'd get all really embarrassing. Depends, I mean, how much are you spending? Yeah. On <laughs> <that>? <laughs> I was out earlier on on the Royal Mile asking people if they had to um, have uh, a Valentine's date with a politician, who would it be? So I'll ask you the same question. One a of your Valentine's political date. counterparts. Well, actually, once I was on Times Radio yeah. and I was asked for my who my secret crush was and I gave a political name as one of my pl- secret political crushes. Go on. I said Kamala Harris. Did you? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. Stick with that. Yeah, purely for the conversation and to hear the ins and outs of what's happening in the US. I love American politics. So I'll, I'll go for Kamala Harris. Very good. And that's all we've got time for on the podcast this week. You can obviously read all about what we've been discussing online at thetimes.co.uk. Just sign up, get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. And if you want to come on and play our quiz, can you get to number 10? Just email studio at times.radio and throughout February, I'll give you a pair of tickets to my stand-up tour if you come on. That's studio at times.radio. But for now, thank you for listening. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.